Hi, this is Eric Anderson, pastor of Global Outreach Community Church. And you're listening to Your Life Matters to Christ podcast. Check out today's message. GOCC family, I am excited to be with you today to share from God's word. I want you to grab your Bible, to grab your family, maybe grab a cup of coffee to relax. But then I want to invite you to join me in God's word. I really believe that today's message is a message that would challenge you in the area of your commitment. So why don't we go to God's word? I want to call your attention to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, we will hear what the Lord wants to say to us today. And if you're writing, I believe that as you write, that you can go back throughout the week to review your notes to see what stood out to you that God may minister to you through his word. So if you're writing, here's what I want you to write down. Here's our big idea for this message. That God demands our full commitment. God is demanding that you fully commit to him as a disciple. That we cannot be a half-hearted disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ in thought, word, as well as in deed. So God wants us to give everything. And last Sunday, we said God wants us to fully commit to give everything because he has already given us everything in Jesus Christ. And because Christ died on the cross to redeem us back to a holy God, that now we are to commit fully to following him as a disciple. So our big idea for this message is that God demands our full commitment. So in Luke chapter 14, let's begin by reading verse 25. It says, now large crowds were going along with him. And he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Man, that's strong language. And he uses the word hate Not literally, but figuratively. But then in verse 27, he says, Whosoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, I can't carry your cross and you can't carry my cross. God is demanding full commitment. And the way we do that is to carry our personal cross. In verse 28, he says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begins to ridicule him. So in essence, Christ is telling this large crowd that if you're going to commit to following him as a disciple, that if you're going to fully commit, that you have to plan and you have to calculate the cost. 
But then he says in verse 28, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish it. All who observe it begins to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king, when he has set out to meet another king in battle, would not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? So Jesus is saying, you have 10, but the other king has 20. Will you not sit down to calculate and consider the cost? Verse 32, or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple. Let me repeat that again. So none of you can be my disciple for the third time. Because if you repeat it three times, I just believe biblically. For some reason, it sticks. It says, so then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So again, our big idea as we walk through this message today is that God demands our full commitment. Not a half-hearted commitment as a disciple, but following Christ will cost you everything. And can we be honest today? Discipleship is hard. It's difficult because there is a high cost, a premium cost of following Jesus as a true, fully committed disciple. And Jesus, in this text, he is very clear that there is a cost to following him. That we don't follow Jesus because we want to be popular. We don't follow Jesus because we want to be light. We don't follow Jesus because we believe we will prosper and have all of our dreams accomplished, all of our desires met, money in the bank, money in our pocket. That is not why we follow Jesus. Because if you follow him, you will lose loved ones from this life to the next. If you follow him, some of your associates will betray you. That when you fully commit to him, that some people will start calling you a holy roller. Because you choose not to engage in the affairs of this world. That now you realize that God is calling you into the kingdom. He's pulling you out of the darkness. And now he's placing you in the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And he is saying, I want you to live above status quo. I want you to be like the eagle. I want you to soar. I want you to stare the storms of life in the face. And you either go through the storms, you go around the storms, you go under the storms, or you go over the storm. But God is saying, refuse to live a status quo life. And if you refuse to live a status quo life, there is a cost of following Christ. So in our text, we see in verse 25, 
that the Bible records there are large crowds going along with him. And Jesus turns to the crowd and he says to the crowd, hey, if any one of you want to come after me and you don't hate your own life, stop. Jesus looks at the crowd and he tells them to hate Father, mother, brothers, sisters, and even their own life. Hate is a strong word. And what I love about Jesus, it seems to me that Jesus was never concerned about his ministry brand. He was never concerned about how many people followed him. He was never concerned about his popularity. That Jesus looks at the crowd and he intentionally dispels the crowd by using the word hate. Stay with me this morning because if you're a pastor or you're a ministry leader or you have a career, you have hopes and dreams and you put your, your, your platform on Facebook and Instagram and you want to be popular and you want to be liked and you want your ministry brand to grow, Jesus says, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about the heart of the individual that that's following me. So he uses this word hate. And I love it because that challenges me to make sure that I put proper priority on the things that matter in my life. Because I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of misplacing my priorities. I've been guilty of putting things above Jesus. And when I realize that my priorities are misaligned, the Holy Spirit convicts me real quick to say, son, I want you to redirect your priorities. I want you to get your priorities straight. I'm not telling you to hate your father. I'm not telling you to hate your mother. I'm not telling you to hate your brother or your sister. But what I am telling you is to make me your top priority in life. So Jesus is basically telling them, hey, you got to hate. Again, he's not saying this literally. He is just dispelling the crowd to let them know he has to be first priority. So Jesus will test your devotion to him. He will test if you love things more than you love him. He will test if you love your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and even your own life more than you love him. He's going to test if you love your position and your authority and your career and your hopes and your dreams more than you love him. He wants you to be fully committed and fully devoted to him. And it's a high cost if you want to live above mediocrity. It's a high cost if you want to soar with eagles. Stop hanging with the chickens. Eagles don't flock. That when you become an eagle, sometimes you have to soar alone. That when you want to live be, uh, above mediocrity, that sometimes you have to walk by yourself. It's a high cost. So he's dispelling the crowd and he's saying, will you be fully devoted to me? Because when you are fully devoted to me, I can do for you what others can do and will never do. That when you are fully devoted to me and you have counted up the cost of following me, I will provide for you. Even when it looks dark, and you really don't know which way to turn, I will provide 
for you that when you follow me, I open doors that no man can close, but I also close doors that no man can open if you would trust me and if you would step out on me in faith and be fully committed. There's a cost. And I like to say it this way. Salvation is free. But following Jesus will cost you everything. Your salvation is free. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Boom, you're saved. That's free. Now it costs Jesus everything, but it's free for you. But living for him will cost you everything. And here's how I want to continue to get into the text. It's time for us to live a consecrated life. If you're going to live above mediocrity, if you're going to soar with the eagles, it's time for you to live a consecrated life. Here's what I mean by that. A consecrated life means that you are dedicated fully and committed to the Lord. That it is an act of setting yourself apart. That you're dedicating your body, your spirit, your mind, all of who you are to the Lord Jesus Christ or to someone greater to, than yourself. And if you're watching this morning, far too often we live a status quo life. That we go with the crowd. At times, I don't want to be with the crowd. That if the crowd is headed in one direction and the Holy Spirit is commissioning me and prodding me and nudging me to go in the other direction, I want to be obedient to the voice, the leading, and the prodding of the Holy Spirit. So I have to learn how to consecrate myself. So biblically, the word consecrate means to separate oneself from things that are unclean. Especially anything that will contaminate your relationship with God. Here's the question that I have for you today. What's contaminating your relationship with God? Be honest with yourself. I want you throughout this week to do some self-evaluation. What's contaminating your relationship with God? I want to encourage you. In your own quiet moments, in your personal devotional time, take out a pen and pad and you ask yourself that hard question. What is contaminating me at this season of life and is preventing me from fully committing to the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible already tells us that we should be a holy people, that we should be separated from the world. In other words, in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Paul says this, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. God is calling you to separate yourself, to be in the world, but not of the world, to be different, to live above status quo, to soar like the eagle. And you have to remember the eagle does not flock in packs. So the eagle has to come out because the eagle realized that he or she is different. Today, I want you to realize you are different. You are created in the image, in the likeness of a great God. That God has fashioned you in his likeness and in his image. And greatness is on the inside of you because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside if you have made that public declaration to trust him as Christ. So Paul says, listen, come out. 
and be separate. In other words, separation or consecration is a critical component of your relationship with the Lord. And I really believe this is what Jesus is telling the crowd. Let me backtrack again. Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So Paul, in Romans chapter 12, looks back on everything that he has communicated from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11. And he says, in view of everything that I just communicated, in view of God's mercy, I urge you brothers and he's not just talking to men he's talking to women as well he's talking to teenagers he's talking to the elderly he's talking to those who will listen I urge you brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God which is your spiritual act of worship now here's the rub in the text most of the time when you commit a sacrifice Sacrifice, the sacrifice is dead. You bring the sacrifice to the altar and the sacrifice cannot move. But on our behalf, we understand that Paul uses the word living sacrifice. That when you bring your body to the altar of God, you have the choice to remove your body or to keep it there. So Paul is saying, offer your body as a living act of worship. Why? Because of all that God has done for you. Because of God's mercy. Because of God's tenderness. It's your spiritual act of worship. And then he says this. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So let's unpack that as we get back into Luke chapter 14. He says this, that when you put your body on the altar and you keep it there as a living sacrifice and it's holy and it's pleasing to God and it is your spiritual act of worship, the next thing you need to do, you need to refuse to allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Can I say that again? You have to be intentional in your efforts of not allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold. And then he says, instead of conforming to the patterns of this world, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That the renewing process takes place on the inside. And then we see it on the outside. So our first point, if you're writing down points and you love points, points is this, that you have to commit to living a life of consecration. That you realize, man, I can't live any kind of way that Jesus died, that I may be redeemed back to God, that I may experience this sanctification process and that I may fully commit to him. So I refuse to be status quo. I refuse to live above or beneath what he has given for my life. I refuse to live beneath my calling. I refuse to live beneath everything that God has given for me. So you got to be consecrated. So let's get back to the text. He says this in verse 26. 
If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, his mother, his wife, his children, and his brothers, and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So we realize he uses that word hate. And that word hate in this statement is basically a hyperbole. Or some people call it a hyperbole. He's just using a word as a extreme exaggeration to make a spiritual point. And he is saying your loyalty to me must come before your loyalty to your family. So I want you to write down three areas that we have to be very careful of. And we have to watch how we elevate these areas above Christ. Here we go. Number one, write this down. Your personal relationships. Number two, your personal desires. And then number three, your personal possessions. So let's say that again. Number one, write it down. Your personal relationships. Two, personal desires. Three, personal possessions. And Christ deals with all three P's in the text, he says your personal relationship, that's your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, and your sisters. He said, listen, in your personal relationships, I come first. In your personal family, I come first. Because if you hook up with me and you get your marching orders from me, everything else would be in order. But if you reverse the order and you put everyone else before me and you put me at the bottom, your marching orders will be distorted. So in other words, he says, in your personal relationships, I come first. So I want to say to teenagers and young adults that's listening, hey, I know your parents' wishes and your mind should come first, but above your parents' wishes is God's direction. Did you hear me? Wishes and directions that Jesus directions supersede your parents wishes and I believe that if you have a parent that's living and walking and connecting with Jesus Christ their wishes will line up with the word and your directions from Jesus Christ could line up with your parents wishes and now you're all moving forward in the kingdom of God to those who are married be careful that you don't elevate your spouse in a position that's solely dedicated to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. We have the tendency to put our wife or our husband in a place that solely belongs to Jesus. So you got to be careful not to elevate your personal relationships above Jesus. But then let's get to our personal desires. He says in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross, follow me, cannot be my disciple. Look at the picture. He said that you have to hate even your own life. If we retrace what Jesus is saying, true commitment will cost you everything. It means death to self, that you have to die to self. Biblically, when a criminal was preparing to be hung or executed on the cross, when he was being prepared to be nailed on the cross, he had to carry his own cross to the place that he was going to die. Can you imagine 
carrying your own cross. Can you imagine being humiliated by carrying your cross up to Skull Mountain that you may be nailed on a cross? And that is what Jesus is saying, that you have to hate your life, so to speak. Remember, it's a hyperbole, an extreme exaggeration that you have to put him first priority. And when you do that, you carry your own cross. So it's death to self. And here's what I want to do this morning. Come on, follow me. Here's the cross. And what Jesus is saying is that you have to nail self to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Place it there. You have to take your priorities, whatever you have written down, and you have to put it on the cross. You have to take your goals and you have to put your goals on the cross. You have to take your personal plans and put your plans on the cross. You have to take your desires and place your desires on the cross. Your will should not supersede Christ's will. That you have to take even your will and place it on the cross. But I don't want to stop there. You have to take your family, take it to the cross. Your career, Place it on the cross. Your finances, which are God's finances, because God is only allowing you to be a steward of his resources. When you understand proper stewardship, you take your finances, which are God's finances, and you put them on the cross. I call that dying to self. That you have nailed all these things to the cross. That you don't go back to the cross and you take your desires and you do with them what you want. You leave your desires on the cross and you ask God to bless your plans, to bless your career, to put you in the right arena, to put you in the right place. To align you in the right space in his kingdom. And when you do that, you can fully commit to him and he will set the direction of your life. So in other words, we must be willing to trade our agenda. I can put that on a cross for God's goal and God's agenda for your life. And I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, God should always have priority over our personal goals an agenda. So who's over your agenda today? Who's over your goals? Who is setting the priority in your life? So here's the third thing. Personal possessions. I want to encourage someone to hold your personal possessions loosely. Far too often we have a tight grip on the things that God has given us. And God is saying, listen, hold loosely your earthly possessions. Hold them with an open hand. It's almost like I have my ring and I put my ring in my hand and I'm holding it tight. Nothing can get in and nothing can get out. And what God is saying is, hold it loosely. And that way, if I want to remove it, I can. And if I remove it, I'll give you something better. Hold it loosely, your personal possessions, because your personal possessions can cause you to drift from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, we're talking about being fully committed. How do I know this? Verse 33. Look at the text. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. 
He's not saying that you need to give up your house and be homeless. He's not saying you need to give up your car and walk or ride a bus. But what he's saying is, listen, hold that nice home loosely. Hold your education and your degrees loosely. Your position on your job, hold it loosely. I may want to take that from you and I may want to realign you in another goal. So my daughter Kiki, last year, and I know she wouldn't mind me saying this, Last year, my daughter Kiki lost a great job at Chase Bank. And I remember my daughter coming home and she was crying as if the world had ended. And I said, Kiki, listen to dad. Remain consistent. Remain faithful to God. Don't stop giving. Don't stop trusting. God can subtract from you, but then God can add to you something better and she didn't listen and it was woe is me and everything is ending no you're 27 years old your life is ahead of you trust God remain faithful and watch how God would bless you come here this morning about three weeks ago she got an offer from another bank and the salary was double what she was making at Chase. And she came home and she said, Dad, you spoke that thing into existence. I said, I didn't speak into existence. What I'm trying to tell you, Kiki, is that if you trust God and you fully commit to him and you stop with the half-hearted devotion, God will steer you in the right direction. God will guide you where he wants you to go. God will take, but he will add, and what he adds is better than what he takes. Remember, God is in control, that he's not going to vacate his throne. And because he's on the throne and he's in control, he will subtract some things, but he would add to your life and he will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. So there are three or four questions that I want you to consider throughout this week. Number one, what's holding you back from fully following Christ? What's holding you back? Number two, what are you afraid of letting go to fully follow him? That there could be something in your life that's preventing you from following him and you won't let it go. Uh, watch this. You won't let him go or you won't let her go or you won't let it go. So what are you holding on that's preventing you? You're afraid to let go of. But that thing, that person, that issue is preventing you from fully following him. Here's the next question. What are you holding on too tightly that it's possessing you? Something that you're holding on to in your life and you won't allow your hand to be opened. That you're holding on to it so tight that God wants you to open your hand, free your hand, because he wants to take it out of your hand so you can fully follow him. Get it in your mind that if the Lord chooses to take it, your loss will be a lot less painful if you relax your grip. So just relax your grip. When I'm in Latin America, we say it this way, tranquilo. In other words, that means to chill. Now sometimes you just have to tranquilo, chill. Open your hand, loosen your grip. 
and allow the Lord to take it out of your hand so you can fully commit to following him. God wants you to bring everything as a disciple under his lordship. And Dr. Tony Evans says it this way, that you have to be willing to give over all that you have. You sign it all to Jesus and you understand that God is in control and stuff is just stuff. You can't take it with you. That you can't hook a U-Haul up and bring the U-Haul with you at the time of your burial. You can't take that stuff with you. Stuff is just stuff. So I want to close by looking at these illustrations that Christ gives in verses 28 through 33. He gives an illustration of a tower that's being built. And he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. You need to sit down first, estimate the cost or calculate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. And as you're going into this area of fully committed to Christ, man, you need to slow down long enough to plan, to calculate and be fully committed to him. That there is a planning process that needs to happen. That you need to calculate the cost because there will be some sacrifices. You don't want to start this Christian race and quit because life becomes hard. Life is made to be hard. Life is not easy, but you have to plan and you have to sacrifice and you have to count up the cost of fully following him. Because if you don't, you'll be like this individual in the text. He laid the foundation, but he didn't have enough to finish it. God wants you to finish your race. Don't worry about who's in the next lane. You run your race and you finish your race. But then secondly, in verse 31 through 32, he talks about this king. And the king sets out to meet another king in battle. And as he goes out to meet this other king in battle, that this king needs to plan and calculate and understand that he has to have enough strength, enough will to accomplish the victory in battle. And I believe that's what God is saying to us. That as a disciple, as a follower, a learner of Christ in thought, word, and deed. That our battle will be fought on so many fronts. But let me tell you something. Let me give you a secret. You already win. You already won the battle that you are now fighting from a position of strength. And although it looks like you are losing up front, you win. And because you win, you can fight with God's resources and you can fight by putting on God's armor. So realize the battle is real. The bullets are real because the world is real. The flesh is real and the devil is real. But you already won when you plan and when you calculate, when you count up the cost and you are willing to sacrifice. See, your commitment would determine if you will surrender or 
if you will be victorious. Now, I told you you win, but you have to be fully committed to seeing it to the end because you will be victorious. So as we close, he says this in verse 34. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the salt or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I want you to see something. I have salt with me this morning. So I have my natural sea salt. I have a bowl of water. But then I'm trying to live a vegan lifestyle two days a week. So I have some vegan sausages. Yes, it's good. I hear you. You're laughing. But I tell you, I'm telling you, it's good. It's made out of pea protein. It tastes like regular sausage. You wouldn't even know the difference if I hadn't told you. But salt, in the Old Testament, in biblical times, salt was used as a preservative. It was used to season. It was used as a disinfectant. That it flavored whatever it touched. Salt was necessity of life and a way of living in the biblical times. So watch this. I have my sea salt. And I'm just going to pour it in the water. And now it's in the water. It may be blending in, but it's actually causing flavor to the water. And if I take the same salt and I just sprinkle a little bit on my vegan sausage, it changes the taste of the sausage. That the complexion of the sausage is still the same, but the taste is different. Now my sausage has flavor. Even the water, it tastes salty. And what God is telling you as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time for you to remain salty. It's time for you to flavor whatever you touch. It's time for you to preserve. It's time for you to be a disinfectant, so to speak. It's time for you to change your surroundings because you are salt. And because you are salt, you have a way of changing and flavoring things around you. And you should flavor the community, the country. And you do that by understanding that now I am fully committed to him. Because if you lose your flavor as a salt, you're useless. You're good for nothing. And because you want to live above mediocrity. Because you want to soar like the eagle. Because you want to live beyond a status quo life. I want to encourage you as we close. To make sure that you fully commit to Jesus. You bring your personal relationships, your personal desires, your possessions, and you put them at the cross. Why? At the cross? At the cross where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. 
It was there by faith. I received my sight. And God wants you to receive sight at the cross. So today, take whatever you're dealing with, nail it at the cross. Your problems on the cross. And when you do that, God will tell you, I'm with you. I desire better for you. And my desire for you is to be fully committed to me. Why? My son died on the cross. And he died for your sins. So today, will you join me in a word of prayer as we pray for people in this day and time to be fully committed to him? Father, we thank you for your word found in Luke chapter 14. That your son, our savior, challenges us by way of discipleship. That he is encouraging us to put him at the top of our life. And when we do this over personal relationships and over personal desires and over personal possessions, God, we can be like salt that flavors our country and our community. So God, will you bless that individual who's watching? Convict them of living a life beyond what you're calling them to. Convict them, God, to step out, but to step up in you. Challenge and encourage them to step out on you in faith because you have more. I pray for that individual whose heart is hurting their loss. Will you meet them right where they are? Will you come into that home, into that room, into that car, into that office building? And will you sit with them? Allow them to sense your presence. And then God, I want to pray for that individual that's watching and who is ready to give up on life. God, bring them to you. And let them know, God, that you are waiting and you are ready to show them a life that's found in you. God, I want to pray for that person that's discouraged and they're dealing with depression. Due to COVID-19 and all the spikes, they don't know which way to turn. Thank you that your word is clear, that we are to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. So God, will you remind them to cast their cares on you? And then God, I want to pray for that individual who loved one has just passed on from this life. Will you sustain them? Give them great strength that's only found in Jesus, that you would comfort them in their hour of bereavement. And God, we thank you that you are a ever abiding presence. So we praise you in advance for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, let's say amen. God loves you and he desires a relationship with you. But sin separates you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
that sin keeps you from experiencing the fulfilling life that God intends for you. That you are eternally separated from God. But I have good news. Jesus rescues you. Jesus offers you peace with God and relationship with him. Through faith in Jesus, you can experience God's love daily. So our question today is, will you trust Jesus by placing your faith in him as your savior? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I ask that you will forgive me of my sins. Today, I confess Jesus as my savior. I place my faith in him. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I ask that you, Lord, would be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision to trust Christ as Savior, please email us at info at globaloutreachcc.org. Thank you for listening to Your Life Matters to Christ podcast. Here at GOCC, we are growing and doing great things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to support us or get plugged into what we're doing, visit globaloutreachcc.org. And remember, your life matters because it matters to Christ.